Hello, Jordan. How's it going? Uh, hey, Rob. It's, it's, it's going great. What's going on? Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a lot going on, obviously. Uh, it's a really tumultuous, uh, historic time at the moment. Uh, um, you can really kind of feel the, the, the wheels of history turning right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's pretty remarkable. It's, uh, it's been a, it's been a crazy week. I gotta say. Yeah. I, I think this is going to be one of those moments that we look back on for the rest of our lives. And we're going to like, remember vividly other things, other news stories. Yeah. We, it might like take like a prompt or something for us to like, you know, recall it or think about it, that yeah. kind of stuff. Remember where we were when things happened, but like, yeah, exactly. This is just so different. This is going to be at the forefront of our minds forever. Yeah. And, and we've seen some really horrific footage and stories, really upsetting stuff, but it's interesting how it's counterbalanced also with these, these really inspirational and exciting moments at the same time. It's kind of a really serious mix of all these kind of different emotions. You know, it makes it really uh, uh, strange to kind of process because you can kind of go on this, uh, this kind of emotional roller coaster. Uh, just for example, despite all the, the chaos that we've seen this week in America and uh, a lot of the, the darkness, I, for one, have been extremely touched and moved by the brands. Mm-hmm. The brands have really been responding in kind to this historic moment. Mm-hmm. And you got to give it up for them because it's been really impressive to see all the different brands come together uh, and, and and share these messages of unity. It's been really inspiring stuff. Yeah, I think the, the brands really stru- struck the right tone and tenor uh, this week. I think it's tough to see what we're seeing. We're seeing all the you know, all the uprisings throughout the country and to kind of cut through the noise, speak to the issue at hand, while also holding on to that kind of um, the corporate branding that we know yes. we know and love. And yeah. I think, um, you know, just one example that really stood out was Wendy's was saying our voice would be nothing without black culture. Right now, a lot of people are hurting because of blatant racism against black people. Their voices need to be heard, period. And they're saying they want to lift up black voices. And someone replied, oh, how about Candace Owens? And Wendy said, yes, that's great. That's yeah, a great start. That's the kind of diversity that, like that in your, really show yeah. that the brands aren't just out there kind of putting out like hollow platitudes. They're really listening to us and they mean yeah. this. Yeah, it's all very, very sincere. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, I saw statements from, you know, the Chicago Blackhawks, different sports teams, mm-hmm. uh, the the Washington football team. I can't. Re- I don't really watch the NFL. I can't remember the name of the. I forget the football yeah. team. I saw a great, really inspiring statement uh, out of them about how we all need to unify and come together and reject things like racism and 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 work together to to better our society. Just it's just really inspiring. And um, you know there was the whole blackout campaign as well. All the different brands were getting involved with that. Just, you know, uh, taking over these these Black Lives Matter hashtags and, and kind of pushing away the disturbing scenes of police violence and, and important vital information for organizers with just black squares and uh, and brands. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really that was a really savvy move. And uh, mm-hmm. I'm happy, actually, that the brands took that advice from us, from our consultancy group, because I thought that was, you know, it was a good idea when we were talking about it. But when you see it in practice, just it was just tremendous. There's just, I thought it was a brilliant marketing move. Just why 
donate? Why show up to a protest? Why do anything when you can just post a black square? A black square yeah. that doesn't just represent solidarity. It represents it represents the absence of justice. And I think that's ultimately what yeah. what the brands were implying. That was it's my the negative was that space yours? that you project the, the whatever you want onto there. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Brilliant. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, brands. Thank you. The real heroes. Okay, hello. Hello and welcome, everyone. It's The Insurgents. It's episode 25. Uh, I'm Rob Rousseau here with Jordan Ewell. Jordan, how are you doing? I saw you were just texting Andrew Cuomo. How's, how's that going? Yeah, it's my, that's my buddy. Yeah. Pretty, I was pretty jealous as a, <laughs> yeah. as a, as a Cuomo sexual. I was like, damn, I get me that, that number. Guess, I'd like to hit his line. Sucks. Sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, someone, yeah. I, I got the number somewhere and, um, after seeing his comments today and continued defense of the brutality on full display by the NYPD, um, you know, the, the brutality inflicted upon protesters who want to uh, bring an end to police violence, uh, I figured since he claimed he had not seen any videos of uh, NYPD officers hitting people with nightsticks, I would just send them to him. So I would help him out. And he... Uh, responded very very, very defensively yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no no i can't believe so that. unlike him yeah yeah wow um but so yeah that was that was really an incredible exchange and and we're going to talk more about this with our guest matt binder uh in just a little bit i'm really excited to talk to matt he's of course based in new york also uh, uh so we're going to talk about all this stuff everything that's happened in the last week all these these major escalations that we've seen over the last week, especially like in New York City, the NYPD, Cuomo, de Blasio, uh, Trump's Trump's like insane photo op thing at the church and the, the everything that goes along with that. We're going to talk about all of that with Matt Binder. Uh, I'm really excited to, to speak to him. I think it's going to be really great. But uh, before Matt comes on, Jordan, I did want to take just a few minutes to talk about Canada. Do you mind if I talk about Canada for a few minutes? Uh, this is an American show. So. Yeah, I know you don't. I know you don't like hearing about this. I appreciate that. But I'm just going to take a few minutes because uh, if you can believe this, I've been getting a little bit of criticism lately. I've been getting a little criticism online uh, about uh, talking about American affairs while Canadian. This is a this is like very upsetting to some people, I guess. You're not allowed to do that. And it's, um, it's against the law. Yeah, well, I do. Okay, well, that's the thing. I I do I do kind of get it that it's a little weird. Uh, I can imagine if you're an American to have all these people that do not live in America that are commenting on what's going on there and kind of getting invested in it. I understand that from from your perspective, that might be a little odd. Um, (laughs) I've gone over this on the show already, you know, why I as a Canadian person care about what happens in America, uh, why I like to talk about it and comment on it, uh, why I think it's important. Um, You know, just to sum up, uh, uh, for anyone that's that's just joined us recently as a listener, um, you know, the United States has has dominated the global economic and political world order for the last like 50 years. Uh, we're all living in America's shadow, especially here in Canada. Um, so what happens in America politically has really far reaching implications uh, for the entire world, including Canada. So, uh, yes, uh, people around the world, 
uh, including uh, people here in Canada are interested and invested in what happens there. Um, it's, it's, for example, that's why I've been so invested in the Bernie Sanders campaign, um, because, you know, America, as it's currently constituted, kind of represents a real threat to, to global stability and security. And the Sanders campaign kind of represented a potential alternate vision of that. That would have been, I think that would have had a hugely positive impact on the entire world, including Canada. Um, so I think that our Canadian listeners and our international listeners uh, know where I'm coming from on this. Uh, but there is something that I wanted to unpack a little bit here. Because uh, one thing I do hear uh, online pretty often, uh, people say, hey, Rob, uh, you know, you spend all this time talking about America. You're talking about, you know, racism in America. Uh, why don't you ever address racism in Canada? And, uh, you know, Checkmate. usually these uh, these questions are not asked in this, this polite and constructive <laughs> tone, like what I just said. Uh, but this is something that I wanted to try and honestly engage with. Um, because number one, uh, I do do this. <laughs> I have an entire other podcast, uh, 49th Parahel. Like the entire mission statement of this this other podcast has been that uh, I wanted to have, have an opportunity to talk about uh, America, but also talk about what's happening politically in Canada, try to tie these struggles together, uh, and try to point out to different Canadians that a lot of the systemic issues that exist in America uh, also exist here, and that a lot of people in Canada have kind of turned a blind eye to it. So this has been kind of like one of my main goals in the, in the work that I do um, over the last couple of years. Um, but to be honest, I do actually agree that right now is a, a really great time to start examining the subject a little bit more for people in Canada and people elsewhere to look inward and look at their look at our own societies and not just gawk at what's happening in America, but also examine uh, what's happening uh, with respect to this issue of, you know, systemic racism, police violence in our own country. So I just wanted to take a few minutes on this show with this platform to talk a little bit about how this affects Canada, if you don't mind. Um, is that to me or is that the odd dog? Well, I don't know. It was a rhetorical <laughs> question. I was going to do it anyways. <laughs> All right. Okay. So I guess, okay, I guess I can start here in Montreal because it's, uh, it's where I live. Now, um, the Montreal Police Department has a long and storied history of, of brutality and racial profiling. Uh, according to a recent study, uh, black and indigenous people are four to five times more likely than whites to be stopped by the Montreal police. Our, our mayor, uh, Valérie Plante, who was uh, elected just a few years ago, she's kind of an outsider. Uh, she ran a very progressive campaign. One of her main campaign uh, promises was to start reining in the Montreal Police Department, and this is one something that she immediately backed down on, like as soon as she was elected. Uh, we just had our mo uh, a Black Lives Matter protest here a few days ago um, in response to what is happening in America, and um, you know the the Montreal uh, riot cops, as they usually do, gassed the protesters that were there after a peaceful protest. Uh, this is very par for the course for the Montreal Police Department. So that's just Montreal. These are just a few little things about Montreal. On a national level, this is a statistic about Canada that I always find really stunning, which is that one-third of uh, people currently incarcerated in Canada in the criminal justice system are Indigenous, uh, despite making up 4% of the population. Um, so just a really, really heavily biased, racially biased criminal justice system uh, on the federal level in Canada. 
Um, I also want to talk about Starlight Tours. Have you ever heard of a Starlight Tour? You want to know what that is? Yeah, tell me. Um, so Okay, so a Starlight Tour was a police tactic in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, um, where uh, police would pick up indigenous people, often under the influence of drugs or alcohol, and they would drive them out into the middle of nowhere on the outskirts of the city and leave them there so they would die of exposure. Uh, this is like this was a common practice for years. This came to a head in the early 2000s, uh, but this is this can be traced back to at least 1976 that this has been going on. Another thing that I pointed out on Twitter recently was um, residential schools because because of what's happening in America, we've had you know it's kind of a conversation we've had politicians like Doug Ford in Ontario say oh you know we we don't have the same kind of systemic. Uh, racism issues that we've seen in America. And I pointed to the, the, the example of residential schools. So residential schools were boarding schools where uh, indigenous children were basically forcibly kidnapped by uh, the state, uh, taken away from their parents, brought to these boarding schools where they suffered really horrific uh, physical and sexual abuse, uh, where their cultural heritage was kind of like intentionally destroyed in an effort to sort of forcibly assimilate them into like white Christian society, which didn't work, by the way, because a lot of these uh, folks, uh, even after leaving these residential schools, were still not accepted in the society and still had to deal with with racism and a lot of these systemic issues, but were also completely severed from their their original cultural heritage. Uh, I just wanted to ask you, do you want to have, give a guess about when the last residential school in canada was closed do you have any idea okay i'm gonna go with uh 1984 uh 1996 uh, the last the last residential school um was closed in canada so this is a, a really barbaric practice that was uh that went on for many many decades another thing i wanted to point out was the report on missing and murdered indigenous women and girls this is a report that came out last year uh talking about the like epidemic of of terrible violence that are suffered by by indigenous women and girls in this country who are often uh, killed or or are vanished with with like no justice or no recourse uh when this report came out last year uh this was the the it was like very carefully compiled very meticulously researched and the uh they framed it as an ongoing genocide like not a genocide that took place decades ago or at the foundation of the country something that's currently still ongoing um there's a city in quebec called val d'or um and in val d'or uh, after multiple indigenous women complained about uh rampant and systemic physical and sexual abuse by police officers there uh the town held this big rally in support of the police a an indigenous woman was killed by the police in new brunswick today literally today uh during a wellness check uh in new brunswick so this is an, this is an ongoing uh, crisis an ongoing problem that indigenous folks in this country have had to deal with basically since the country's inception. I mean, even the 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 image of the the loyal Mountie that everyone knows as the as the friendly symbol of Canada. You know, if you look at the history of the Mounties and the RCMP, uh, has just been kind of like a vehicle for horrific colonialist violence against indigenous people um, for for since the inception of the country. And so. I mean, I'm just been focusing on uh, indigenous matters here, but there's also huge racial disparities in policing when it comes to black and brown people in Canada as well. Uh, you talk about Toronto as a long, long history as well of like over policing communities of color there, um, as well as things like excessive force and outright murder. 
Uh, just this week, a black woman was killed allegedly when she was thrown off her balcony by the Toronto Police Department. I heard about um, that. That's yeah, fucked up. It's absolutely horrendous. Uh, and just like many cities in America, Toronto, it's one of the wealthiest cities in North America, uh, has seen the cost of living rise every single year. Uh, social programs every single year are slashed, education, housing slashed every year, while the budget for the Toronto Police Department inflates by millions of dollars every year. The last requested police budget for the city of Toronto was uh, $1 billion. Um, and I could go on about this kind of stuff all day. Um yeah, we could spend a whole episode talking about this kind of stuff. But uh, I did just want to bring it up uh, while I, you know, while I'm using this platform uh, and and to talk about this, because Canada is indeed a, a deeply racist society uh, with massive racial disparities in our criminal justice system. And I just wanted to mention this stuff because while I, I do intend to continue talking about America, I mean, that's pretty much what this show is about. That's a lot of what of the work that I do is. Uh, because I think it's important for all the reasons that I outlined earlier. Um, but I actually agree that I and uh, every other Canadian, whether you're listening to this show or wherever you are, wherever you are listening to this show, we do need to do more to confront these kinds of issues in our societies, in our communities. Um, and that means not just being aware of this stuff or raising awareness, but it also means like actively confronting it far more than we have been doing, uh, whether that means protesting or supporting local social justice initiatives, pressuring our elected officials, whatever it is, uh, we all need to be doing more of it. Uh, because like I said, I think it's important to talk about what's happening in America. I mean, what's going on right now, it's the number one biggest news story in the world. Of course, everyone's going to comment on it. We should be focusing on that and learning from it. Um, but I think, you know, while, while Canada might not be as quite as barbaric in our criminal justice system as America, these issues of systemic racism do still exist. And definitely Canadians need to pull their heads out of the sand and stop, you know, thinking that just because America is America, that we're some kind of like post-racial socialist utopia. It has never been true uh, uh, since the foundation of the country. It's not true now. Uh, and that's something that everyone, including me, needs to do more to sort of combat. So that's why I wanted to take a few minutes well, before we brought on Matt Binder to address uh, some of these issues about Canada. So I hope, uh, I hope everyone... Would Takes take something away from that. Well, I sure did. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. <laughs> Canada turns out very bad, very bad country. Yeah, I, yeah. I think I think there's a lot of benefits that probably corrupt. A lot of benefits of being like proximate to North America and being a predominantly white country. Um, you know, there's like a ton of benefits bestowed upon Canada for that. But I mean, certainly, all oh, there's a ton of pitfalls that come along with that. But the criticism that you're not allowed to comment on American political affairs when being in another company or being in another country really uh, <laughs> undercuts your point that America is a global imperialist force because everyone yeah. around the world is going to have criticisms. It's yeah. just weird. It's a weird, it's short-sighted and I don't think it's a uh, worth, I don't know. I personally, I don't think any of that kind of stuff is worth paying much mind to because you're allowed to do whatever you want. And I yeah. think borders are arbitrary and like national identities are arbitrary and they should, we shouldn't have these types of distinctions. It's just like tri fucking bullshit tribalism. Who cares? Yeah. Yeah. I, I do. I, I hear where you're coming from. I do agree. Uh, but I did, you know, I, I am sensitive to that criticism. Uh, I don't want people to think that I, that I don't believe that there's these systemic issues exist in Canada. They do exist. Uh, it is very real problem. So just 
while we were before we brought on Matt Binder to talk about everything that's happened in America this week and about these current uprisings, I did just want to take a few minutes to talk about how uh, Canada really does uh, indeed suffer from a lot of these uh, same issues. So thanks for bearing with me while I while I talked about that. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. Of course. Um. So I mean, that's that's I think that's everything that I wanted to uh, rant about before we get. I mean, we've got so much to get into with Matt Binder. I think we should kind of just like. Bring him on um, because we got right we got plenty to get into. Uh, Substack, theinsurgents.substack.com. If you can please subscribe over there if you haven't already. Uh, leave a review, Apple Podcasts. Leave us a voicemail. I'm not going to put you on the spot for the voicemail number. It's it will be in the uh, show description. It's, it's, if you want to leave us a voicemail, in the show notes. Yeah. yes, we always appreciate that. I think that's everything. Uh, that's Good. all the the housekeeping that I wanted to do there. Let's bring on Matt Bender. I'm super excited to talk to him. He's going to be joining the show right after this. So Matt, uh, Matt, this is actually a big moment for me uh, because I first, I first came across your work, uh, years ago it must have been like 2014 and you had that tumblr called public shaming all right do you remember that i do i where do you, yeah where you would have people like complaining about their housekeepers and stuff yeah that was a lot of uh, i mean i recently actually did something like that and i actually ended up you know dusting off the public shaming blog to post a few of them uh where oh, nice. i i saw that some people were tweeting you know i don't know if you saw that story i think it was like on, on a saturday night or sunday morning where someone tweeted how they were in, uh, you know, they were in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and there were uh, like tankers going down like residential blocks, and these police, I believe it was police, maybe it was not, it was like National Guard or something, full on decked out, started uh, shooting like the paint can, whatever those things are, the uh, the smoke paint things, uh, at the at people who were sitting on their porch, telling them to get inside. <laughs> And people were replying yeah. to the tweet that of the of the person who like posted the video, saying like, "Next time the police tell you to do something, you should go inside." And then <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that was ripe for a lot of past state- contradictory statements. <laughs> right, literally, a few of them. I literally just had to go back uh, two weeks, not even maybe, <laughs> where they were like. Never let the government tell you you have to stay in your home. Don't listen to these lockdowns. They're oh bullshit. My oh, my God. Yeah, we've seen a lot of that. Uh, we've seen a lot of that recently. Yeah. Haven't we? It's, yeah. it's incredible. So, yeah, this was a, back in 2014. I was like, damn, this Matt Binder guy is so cool. So I'm very starstruck right now to have you on the, on the, on the show. Uh, it's I've, very I've exciting lost, for me. I've lost a lot of that cool cachet with age. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and kids, you were saying. And yes, That's I've right. got uh, two kids. Uh, they are in bed now. Nice. Now you, yeah. now you can game. Now I can game. Right. We were talking before you asked me if I was a gamer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I said how, you know, I, I, I used to be a big gamer. And then, and then honestly, before the kids, I even started probably getting out of it a little bit in terms of like just playing whatever. I like basically got my games that I really liked, like Years of War or, oh, yeah. or Warcraft 3 and only Warcraft 3, not World of Warcraft. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, those were like things like that. Like I found like my, my couple games that I love playing over and over again and I would play those, but yeah, I don't do uh, much of that 
anymore. Although I, during the uh, the whole lockdown stuff early on, when uh, my almost five year old, uh, I realized my almost five year old is going to be home without anything to do for for months. I uh, got an Xbox One that was on sale, and oh, yeah. uh, Plants go. Plants vs Zombies Battle for Neighborville was on sale for like ten bucks. And I know he likes playing like the the phone Plants vs Zombies game, so I was like, all right, let's try this out. And it is amazingly good. It's like a, a third-person shooter with the Plants vs. Zombies characters. And you'd think, oh, they just basically took a popular IP and just plastered some generic, terrible, like, uh, uh, third-person gaming, uh, uh, third-person shooter UI on it or something. Uh, but, but no, it's actually really well thought out, and it's a lot of fun. Nice, nice. So we, you are a gamer. I am a gamer. All right. Just yeah. the games are Plants vs. Zombies Battle for Neighborville. <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice. And Lego Star Wars. That's another oh, one. Yeah. Dude, uh, Le- the Lego games, unironically love them. They're like really, really well done and they're really funny. And like you get to like relive like the magic of like the Star Wars storyline. I, I think they're hilarious and they're great. I've played a few of them over the years and I really, really enjoyed each one. Right. I, I like how I like how, you know, they're for kids, but they're they're kind of challenging too for for mm-hmm. adults for the kids part is basically you can't die in the game like you just keep coming back it doesn't matter how many times your lego shoots into a million pieces mm-hmm. uh but the, some of those things are pretty challenging for like anyone under the age of i don't know uh 18 <laughs> 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 and above actually so yeah, yeah. i don't know <laughs> they're fun yeah. like kind of like semi mindless puzzle games which i i like to relax to that's right. that's my my fondness for them comes from that yeah. I'm also a lapsed gamer. I'm in the exact same situation, actually. Like, I, I kind of just stopped when my son was born. I think he's around the exact same age. We must have been going through the exact same uh, process at the, at the same time. Uh, right. So, similar kind of thing. And he's not in bed right now. I can hear him upstairs going just mental right now. <laughs> ah, see, we have, and, a, uh, we, have a, we have a strict bedtime. Good. We have a strict bedtime. Gotta go to oh. bed uh, somewhere between the hours of 7 and 8. So, it's not that strict, but... Uh, yeah. You know, and on the weekends when we let him play his Xbox, I'll be nice and I'll push it, let him push it maybe to like 8.30, maybe 9 o'clock, depending on how good he was throughout the day. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, if I got a, if I got a podcast to, to do, whether it's my own or someone else's, yeah. you got to go to bed. Sorry, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> get in your room. Yeah. Get in well, there. Get, yeah. In, get in our room. We have a one bedroom <laughs> with, with oh, two okay. kids. Yeah. So <laughs> that's fun. That's going to yes. be good in the old lockdown. Quarantine. Oh, it's, it's been wonderful. It's been absolutely the greatest thing. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, don't doubt I, it. I mean, you know, you know, I think. See, the the youngest one who is who just turned one a couple of weeks ago. I think for her, like this whole thing has been uh, the best thing ever. Because at that age, uh, you know, she gets to see her mom and dad all the time and spend all this time with her big brother, and she, I think, is having the time of her life. But my almost five year old, he turns five in July. I feel like, you know, he's tried to be a good sport about it, but, you know, always smiling and trying to play with us. But I could totally get like I could totally tell that like inside this is like killing him. Like the fact that he's always trying to play with us, his mom and dad is a huge tell because yeah. he's like dying for some socialization. He's like <laughs> can't can't deal with it anymore. And, you know, at that age, that's all kids really want to do is hang out with kids their own age. That's what yeah, school's exactly. all about at that age. They don't go to actually learn anything. They go to like learn how like they don't they don't go to learn like you know mathematical equations they go to learn how to be like a human being with other people you know like yeah how to be friendly yeah. with other kids i've got a buddy whose kid is maybe a little bit older than that but uh so he he must be older because he 
has like a little Chromebook that he got from the New York City schools. And uh, he and his friends now play Roblox together every night. They call each other on Zoom and they play Roblox. And my buddy <laughs> tells me he, like, he likes to keep tabs on him, make sure, you know, he's just like <sighs> only playing that game and not like going onto other things or whatnot. And so he says he, over, he eavesdrops sometimes. And he said, all they do is just kind of walk around and just like, oh, wait, hey, where are you? Oh, there you are. And just like all they're doing is like moving their little Roblox characters around, which is, I guess, if you're five or six and you can see your friend in a digital world, it's kind of entertaining. But I thought that was very cute. See, my, my son can't deal with, with the Zoom. He doesn't like it. It's not the same for him. It's not even close to being acceptable. He just does not like doing it. He, he won't even like sit in front of it. He'll just... You know, he'll he'll, he'll we've, we've done it with uh, his school when when they were doing it in the beginning. I think they all the kids sort of had the same feelings as him, so they sort of stopped doing it for pre-K. But uh, yeah, he just couldn't deal with sitting there and like acting as if he was in the room or hanging out with his friends. It just didn't connect. So who knows? Hmm. Weird well, times. It's weird yeah. times for everyone, for adults, uh, for little kids. Um, but in any case, Matt, we do thank you for taking the time to join the program and talk to us about all this, the craziness going on right now. Thanks for, thanks for coming on the show. Ah, no problem. It was a pleasure to be here. Have a good night guys. (laughs) (laughs) It's bedtime. Matt's bedtime is at 930. Now it's, it's now Matt's bedtime (laughs) and mine as well. You know, I've been, I've been staying up so late these past couple of days that like, there's bound to be a night where I'm just, I just end up conking out at like 10 PM on the couch or something. That was me last night. Last night was my birthday. And, uh, oh, well, happy birthday. I, happy thank birthday you very off. much. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I, yeah, I went to bed at 10 p.m. <laughs> just like, no, it's a good not. birthday gift. Yeah. It, it wasn't actually not that bad. Yeah. It was pretty good. I watched Jurassic Park and then I passed the out at one? 10 p.m. Yeah. A I'm a one. Jurassic Park purist. So that's like, what do you mean? Like, that's the only one you watch or? Well, it's, I think it's the only, only really good movie in that in that mm, series. No, and there's some other two. Lost World was good, right? No, Lost World was not good. Jurassic Park three is good. Oh, okay. Oh, What's boy. the new one? Let's Jurassic, not get into the weeds Genesis. on this. Now. No, because Jurassic, be... Jurassic Park three is the only other one with Doctor Alan Grant, so that automatically oh. makes it a great Jurassic Park movie. Right, right, yeah. right. Yeah. Let's not get into the weeds with Jurassic Park <laughs> rankings. <laughs> that's what people listen. <laughs> yeah. We can go the whole episode d- debating this. Yeah. But uh, Matt, I guess to start off with, uh, you're there in New York City. How are you doing? How are you coping with um, with everything that's been happening in America over the last week? Everything that's been happening in New York City. It's been pretty pretty crazy stuff. And, right. uh, I'm, how, I'm not, how has I'm it been from your perspective? It's been great. I've been wonderful. Everything's been fantastic. It's been. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm actually in um, uh, in Queens specifically, so. Uh, it's especially, uh, been, wor- uh, I guess worrisome is the correct word with the, uh, coronavirus because there's been no, uh, nowhere hit harder than certain parts of Queens. In fact, I'm, uh, I'm one zip code over from the, the place that had the, uh, most cases in the, the zip code that had the most cases in the entire city. And I am in the zip code that had the most cases per 100,000 uh, people who live in the zip code. So uh, we're having a great time here. Uh, around, I was just reading a story how this, um, this nursing home not too far from me, literally walking distance, uh, they are now at 58 people dead in that nursing home alone. Oh, uh, so we're doing, uh, we're doing, we're not doing, I mean, 
we're doing good in the sense that we are taking this seriously. I mean, the worry for me is like the rest of the country really does not take this seriously. And I mean, not the whole rest of the country, but a lot of the rest of the country. Um, and, you know, I'm telling you this is happening in an area where uh, specifically in where I live, where there's a large uh, uh, Asian population who uh, quite honestly have worn masks for a very long time due to earlier epidemics in their in, in their home countries like, you know, in China or South Korea. And so mask wearing has been a, a, a normal thing here. And then when it came time for everyone to wear masks, it was, you know, of course, there's some holdouts, but it's been a very simple thing. You see most people wearing masks here, um, you know, th- and that, this is what happened here. So I can only imagine if, you know, there there ends up being some sort of outbreak somewhere else, how badly they'll handle it. I mean, there's a there's a chance that they don't they don't get an outbreak as bad because of just how the the city situation or the living situation is for those areas. Or maybe someone who uh has coronavirus doesn't come into that area without any t- without taking any of the proper precautions uh but you know if if something like that does happen there then uh you know in this any town usa who who knows how bad it could be but you got to feel safe i'm sure with all all the cops around right yeah <laughs> i mean I, I knew i knew i was in good hands when i saw them shooting at the coronavirus oh <laughs> amazing that's what i was sure yeah, protecting serve going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like I don't even know where to begin here. Like it's been such a fucking crazy week. Uh the last episode we did it was just when kind of when this uprising in Minneapolis was was kicking off and we talked about how like this is certainly going to escalate and it immediately did uh, exponentially. Uh, and has become uh, you know, spread nationwide to every, pretty much every state in the United States and multiple multiple uh, cities and provinces here in Canada as well and all over the world. You've got people in in the UK protesting about this, about police violence. Um, you've got like Greek anarchists firebombing the U.S. embassy in Greece. Uh, so things have definitely dramatically escalated. Over yeah, the, the, last the week. Greek left is the real deal, man. I mean, yeah, I feel they like they do not mess around. I feel like whenever there's a photo of a Molotov being thrown at a protest, it's probably from Greece. I mean, really, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or the French. The French have also been availing themselves quite True. nicely as well. True, right? I mean, it must be some of those outside agitators from uh, all over the United States yes, seeping yes. into Greece and uh, France. Of course, no. Okay, that's a, that's a great place to start, Matt. Though, because that was, I think, a really interesting development earlier in this week when you had the first couple of days of this uprising it was very kind of inspirational you had that that like in that crazy scene when the the police precinct in uh in minneapolis was uh lit lit on fire and it was very very recent polling says 54 percent of the country uh is fine was was cool with it so i mean yeah (laughs) you know we're making moves when 54 percent of the country is, is okay with that but what I found super interesting and very, very revealing was like the next day that narrative was just like someone got the message out on whatever Slack or whatever listserv that like, this is now we need to kind of start dividing this movement. Uh, and it turned into this whole like outside agitator thing. Uh, it was, you know, it's it's white anarchists, like rich, rich white anarchists from the suburbs. Um, and just it, it seemed like every sort of liberal sort of establishment media person was immediately just like invested in in 
pushing this narrative and making sure that like, oh, these, these are not the good protests and these are the, the, the bad divisive protests. And it was very, very interesting to see not only the sort of the media class immediately pivot to this kind of message, but then this kind of, you see this kind of like mind virus infect everybody. Uh, and then you had scenes like in protests of people like turning over other protesters to the police which just strikes me as so bizarre and and not something that you would want to do considering you know that we're it's a protest for police violence turning people over to the police probably not uh, the best strategy there <laughs> but, but did you guys find that interesting like I, I thought it was so strange like how quickly that narrative uh started getting promoted and took hold and and really started affecting people's perceptions of these these protests right yeah it was you know it it was incredible to see I mean, it's not surprising. I mean, this is the same thing they they wheel out for whenever there's some sort of big protest and 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 people get a little bit violent. It's always got to be some sort of troublemaker in the crowd. It's got to be, you know, that's not what the protest is actually about. And I mean, yes, there's a place for obviously peaceful protests, but listen, we're talking about protests here. There's no rules. There's no like like you can't like you could police the protest if you're on the ground and if activists want to do that, I mean, that's cool with me. That's completely uh, fine. You know, you you do what you can on the ground to organize uh, the people around you, however you feel is fit for that moment. But I mean, the idea that to me, especially the idea that those who are sitting home uh, watching the clips the next morning, poo pooing it from their computer chair or their bed while they're tweeting on their, you know, tweeting on their phone. It's like, give me a break. It's like, how dare you, like, Monday yeah. morning quarterback that shit? Like, you have no idea what happened down there. You know, the, you know that's also the thing. Like, you'll see, like, someone say, you know, it was a peaceful protest, and then this happened uh, in front of this store. Well, yeah, when there's a big protest that goes down blocks and blocks and blocks, and there's different individuals scattered throughout with different police officers scattered throughout, you're going to, you know, one, the, the end of one block will probably feel a lot different than the beginning of another block. Um, and, you know, you don't know if someone was completely peaceful and then just had enough of a particular cop or a particular few cops shoving their bikes in their chest or, or face or clubbing them across the back. Uh, some people don't have the ability to just, like, take that and just continue to stand there and not do anything back. And I mean, I, I think it takes a lot of nerve to be one of those people, you know, if you're on the ground, again, you do what you got to do. But if you're someone sitting home and watching this full, uh, like uh, unfold, like, how dare you like criticize what they're saying, what, what they're doing while you're sitting in the safety of your home? That's how I that's how I think of it. Yeah, I, I think the the concern trolling over property damage. Um, well, I think a few different things about it first. The people who invoke it so often are just people looking to discredit the entire movement. You know, this 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 moment left people with like kind of nothing to hold on to. Even one of the most obvious cases uh, with Walter Scott, people justified his death by saying, "Well, he ran away. You shouldn't run away from a police officer." No, you don't. You don't automatically die because you run away. Um, but this <laughs> yeah. is like. It checks every box that they would have resorted to next. Like it's a whole full long list of grievances or or thing or issues they might have had to justify the death of George Floyd, and they're left with nothing. So now we have this mass mobilization, and people who tip. I mean, this is purely anecdotal. People that I know who are never on board with these types of things are like calling for justice, which is so remarkable, and it really shows how uh, how just blatant this was. Everyone is on board, right? 
But the hangers on, the people who just refuse because they're so pro-cop they just don't care or they're just racist and don't care, they're looking for things like this to discredit the entire movement. It's like, well, uh, I don't know. Why are, why are they looting? Why are they smashing windows? It's like, why don't you just fucking care that somebody was murdered? And this isn't just a one-off thing. It's a pattern. And that's why these protests are so are so enormous. But also, these types of out like outbursts, whether it's property damage or or whatever – it's because they've tried through years of peaceful protesting and people ignoring them just to end police violence. And this is where we're at. This is this is I yeah. mean, it's literally the phrase, no justice, no peace. We're at the no peace part and libs are not lib. I mean, it's a lot of people are just like, wait, whoa, whoa, can't do that. That's too much. That's too much. Well, then fucking serve justice. Wait, you mean you mean to tell me that that's what no justice, no peace actually means? <laughs> Yeah, you, some might be surprised. Uh, yeah. You mean, you mean well, and also, you mean, you mean peaceful po- protest twenty four seven to the end of time doesn't fit the no justice, <laughs> no peace part of that? I am so confused. Yeah, I'm so, well, so and, and that's the thing. People, people like like you pointed out, Matt. People are Monday morning quarterback these things, and are pointing out like, oh, that you know, people would be taking this protest seriously until this violence started, until this property damage started, or you know, it's not. It's supposed to be a. a a protest about police brutality against against uh, you know black people, African Americans, and and you know the systemic racism and things like this. But there's all these white people there, and um, you, you had you had a lot of people like seriously making these kind of arguments to kind of just discredit uh, what was happening. I mean, to be fair, and, and I've, seen, is, I've, seen, I've seen video of woke liberals on the ground telling white people to remove themselves and march separately from the black people. Yes, so, I mean, yes. you've seen that video? I mean, thankfully, everyone down there, black, white, brown, Asian, uh, everyone I saw there basically laughed this person off and yelled at them to shut up. But, I mean, there's some weird... And, and you know, there, there's, so, there's so many things in my mind that I want to... I'm, I'm, like, racing to, to, like, actually, like, write note down on paper so I don't forget. But, like, one thing that's really interesting to me is... That I, I think is not being not enough people are spending time on this. Is there's a generational divide with what's going on down there? Um, yeah. I think you're seeing a lot of young people resort to whatever they they feel like they need to resort, and they're doing it together. Um, I think a lot of the policing of what these protesters are doing are from the older, and by older I mean like the older half of millennials, Gen X, and everyone older than that. Like that to me, the older you see them, they're the ones who are out there like the ones criticizing the protesters and telling them how to act and whatever. And they're the ones who are also all like, yeah, it's all the, these, these white kids going just to cause all this havoc. You know, there's no black person mad enough to cause any damage. Uh, <laughs> I'm really not seeing that. It's infantilizing that from, in a way. Yeah. I, I really don't see that coming from like the Gen Z crowd. They're all just like in unison, like we're all pissed uh, and we're not going to police each other or tell someone who is white that they can't stand with me and fight for me just as much as, you know, uh, another black person. If, if you're like if you're a black protester, you know, so I mean, it's it's. It's it's something that I think it's one of the many things I think is is being sort of ignored here. Another thing, uh, and we were just talking about it before, is the coronavirus factor, and I think a lot of people are ignoring it. I don't just mean the idea that in a couple of weeks we might see some new outbreaks uh, in areas where these protests happen are, are happening. Uh, what I mean is, um, you have. Uh, people who are pissed about what they saw with the George Floyd video and then they are protesting and as they're being 
um, you know, violently met by the police. You know, there's all the other shit going on in their, their life right now. Uh, 40 some odd million people are on, on unemployment right now. Uh, people have been locked in their homes. Uh, even if you weren't locked in your home, a lot of the places people would go are closed or shut down. Um, there's just a lot of uh, anxiety and angst and, and uh, pent up frustration in people right now. And, you know, this might upset the people who don't like to actually be intersectional and think that race and class don't intersect, even in a protest where people are uh, uh, directly protesting uh, police brutality and the killing of a black man. But, I mean, I don't think you can argue that it doesn't, well, I don't think you can argue that it doesn't normally, but especially right now during a once-in-a-century pandemic. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That is definitely true. No, it's something we've talked about a lot uh, over the, I mean, even before the, the, uh, the killing of George Floyd, how like America is basically this giant powder keg uh, and this pandemic has kind of like poured gasoline on everything. And it turns out that the murder of George Floyd was kind of the spark that, that set everything into motion. And I think that was the other thing that I wanted to return to is just that like the, the, the reality is that when it comes to these protests, even if there was, you took away all the property damage and no one was rioting and everyone was being perfectly calm and, 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 you know, orderly, and it was the exact percentage of racial diversity that, that satisfies whatever part of the, the lib brain that needs to think about these things. Uh, even if that was the case and that was the ever the case with every single protest in the country, uh, going on right now, what, what's actually, what would actually change? And the answer is nothing, nothing would change. Um, and it's the fact that these are spiraling out of control. That's what's leading to actual motion and movement towards, like, actually bringing about justice. Uh, like, I'm not sure that the the other police officers in this case would have been charged if these protests hadn't become so kind of intense and, and you know, in some cases, violent. Uh, I'm just not sure that's what would happen. Right. Um, and other cases are being reopened too right now because of this. Yeah, exactly. Well, cuz I think it's people are saying too it's it's not it's no longer really just about this one case, it's about this big broad systemic issue that needs to be addressed and not just with kind of platitudes or nice speeches or maybe a few technocratic little tweaks here and there. But I've like seen people are yeah, people are really talking about real real radical change in the way that the the criminal justice system works in the united states i've seen so much shit out there from like conservatives or just white people who don't get it saying how yeah i went by the i was walking by and i saw the protest funny i didn't notice one i didn't notice uh uh one uh, r.i.p george floyd sign really <laughs> weird huh protests yeah. are not about what they say they're about i've literally seen that yeah, it's, well just, it's it's weird weird things. I mean, I, I'm sure we're all talking about the same handful of people, but it's just like it's weird. To, it's a weird thing to latch on to, but I think shows that you're really not concerned about justice being served at all. You're just like looking for weird things to kind of like glom onto and and uh, just try to use it to discredit the entire movement. But also on the racial breakdown of of crowds, I think it like. I don't know. Wouldn't you want a, a multi-racial uh, movement on this issue on racial justice? If it's just uh, if it's just the oppressed group, I mean, chances are they're not going to be taken as seriously because of the way systemic injustice works. So wouldn't you want a multi-racial group out there protesting? So picking out that there's white people there, like, I just really shows that you aren't familiar with how like uh, you aren't familiar with the theory of change for these types of movements to begin with. 
Right, right. I mean, I mean, I guess. Uh, I mean, you're absolutely right. But I guess they want the multiracial coalition coalition on Twitter, and that will make them happy when they see people tweeting about yeah. how they support it. But that's it. That's it. Yeah. You know, the, the, or the, they, like they want they want the uh, the leadership of the different police departments and political, uh, you know. <laughs> uh, political sort of elements to be to be have that racial and gender diversity as well but in the protest no you don't have that right right and you know another <laughs> another another thing that really really bugs me while we're talking about uh the 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 libs complaining about uh white people going to and by libs the specific libs i don't know who listens to your show i don't know if you guys are have this huge audience of hashtag resistance people who listen to you guys <laughs> somehow so, i sure. doubt it <laughs> i don't know <laughs> So I'm I'm sorry uh, to any of the Krasenstein fans out there, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, but no, uh, you know another thing that really bothers me is uh, when people when when liberals demonize Antifa, and I mean yeah I expect it from the right. Fuck them. I don't give a shit when the right says that shit. They're the fa. But you know what yeah. are you doing? criticizing antifa like you really think antifa is responsible for all that i mean if antifa could was responsible for starting riots and burning down buildings let me tell you they would have done it a long time ago they wouldn't have waited this long yeah i mean these yeah, are this the- is something liberals have been contributing to like since trump was elected too since we started seeing a lot of these different protests and seeing this kind of element of sort of uh, radical sort of anarchist activists the the liberals have been wringing their hands about this you know for year, for years now and they've laid they've helped lay the groundwork to make this a legitimate issue that trump then capitalized on this week as he's like talking about designating uh antifa a terrorist organization and people were kind of laughing at this like oh it's not even an organization <laughs> and it's not even it's against the rules to do these domestic to like designate this domestic terror group we can't even do that but like that doesn't that shit doesn't matter uh trump has like shown throughout the, the last four years that none of these norms really even apply he can pretty much just like say something and and make it happen right um, and mean, that's something you- that i find really terrifying because that's that leaves a possibility open for for the government considering the the, the the ways that they've designated terrorists since since 2001 and have have the ability to sort of take away people's uh rights to detain them indefinitely as long as they're associated with a terrorist group when you have this very nebulous concept like antifa and you you, you have the idea of now the authorities can just like designate anyone they they decide as a, as a member or a peripheral member of this group and just like take away all their civil liberties that's like a potentially pretty serious problem, uh, pretty scary stuff, actually. Jordan, are you tweeting while we're doing this show? Oh, is yeah. Jordan tweeting again? Oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> busted again! So many people tag me in police brutality clips now, and I'm trying to get like as many of them out as possible. <laughs> and I just saw a horrific one from Buffalo, where cops just walked up to an elderly guy who was standing with his hands up, shove him. His head hits the back of his head, hits the pavement. He's bleeding like blood just pouring out of the back of his head and they just keep walking very nice yeah very cool who the fuck does that serve oh my <laughs> god i'm see. i'm watching it right now damn isn't that insane whole like the blood's really coming out yeah. and they just yeah walk past oh my god like that guy well, and that's another that's i mean that's another thing that we i think we need to talk about too about these protests and, and these see i wasn't tweeting i was i was segueing to the next you were, the next part of the shit <laughs> you were normally you were, you're tweeting about inane bullshit while we're, while we're like, talking <laughs> You were but, doing your duties as one of the uh, official yeah, uh, members of the organization Antifa. <laughs> you're off the hook this time. 
But I think that's the other thing that needs to be addressed too, which is that as much as people have wanted to frame these protests as like, oh, they, they turn violent and then that the police are just forced to then go in and start doing this stuff. But as we've seen time and time again throughout the last week in all these different protests and uprisings, it's the vast majority of the time, the police are the instigators of the violence. They're the ones that are instigating the violence in the first place. We saw that in Seattle a few nights ago. We've seen it all over the place. Um, and that's not something that like is being discussed. I think in the context of these, uh, in these, uh, these protests, like on the, in the mainstream media, um, the fact that the police are the ones that are instigating the violence, the vast majority of the time, it's, it's really crazy. All right. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, uh, uh, you know, I think I think one of the things just to go back to I, I know we're jumping around, but I just wanted to say one more thing about the Antifa thing. Uh, we, you know, one of the other dangerous things about Trump's rhetoric with 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 Antifa, of course, there's the whole uh, you know, de- designating them as a, a domestic and, and domestic terrorist and what it means for you know surveillance in this country uh, if they're actually able to change things to to to, to you know placate placate Trump. But um, if you go to like your local uh, Facebook group for your neighborhood or, or your next door for your neighborhood and, and see the people who go on there. Um, you know, these are people who uh, maybe even don't really pay attention to politics so much. You'll notice all over the place now, it's all people uh, talking about usually, you know, white suburban America sometimes, but in other places too, I've seen of all, of all, all, all types of people talk about how this dangerous organization Antifa and it's like, you know, this guy is just spreading shit. And, you know, and that's why I think we're seeing some, like, the police have always been like this. But, you know, there's also, I think, the element of another one of Trump's favorite messages is that the police are wonderful, could do no wrong, and they need to uh, do whatever they need to do by any means necessary to pipe down protesters. And he's always had that attitude, even when he was running for office. Yeah, and sure. And I do, th- I do think, you know, obviously the police have always been like this, but I think when it comes to these protests, I feel like they've been a little more emboldened than usual, to be, be honest. Like maybe the violence is the same, but just the openness about it is a bit more just like out in the air. Yeah. Well, and they're definitely treating these things not like, okay, we need to calm down the situation and we need to make sure everyone's protected, but it's more like a war. Like we, you're on the other side of the war and we're the one side and we're, we're going against each other. And that seems to be the attitude that they have uh, going into these, these like situations, which right. inevitably get escalated. Yeah. I think part of it is because of this like training that they have. I don't know if you've ever seen the documentary, uh, Do Not Resist. It's from a few years ago, but it chronicles the rise in the militarization of police and like the exit, like the surplus military equipment they get. Like you've got the, one of the, one of the departments they chronicle in, in that documentary is this tiny town. I think it's in Tennessee, but it's somewhere in that region where the sheriff has two MRAPs with this giant tanks for one person. (laughs) Why? What is the justification of that? And just like, that's just like, that's, I mean, probably not you know like the national trend but like the prolific proliferation of surplus military equipment to local police departments and then coupled with the training who it's been chronicled elsewhere but the training that they get where it's like a shoot first ask questions later it's like it's okay to kill type stuff that only leads to things like this where as protesters as someone who's organized them who's been to countless you are taught to de-escalate every situation, whether it's with counter-protesters or police. 
The police don't have that same training. They come in with fucking nightsticks. They come in with mace. They come in with tear gas and flashbangs. And they go in with this like war mentality and they're ready to hurt and maim and in some cases kill. It's so fucking warped. And the thing it's important to remember is whether it's about George Floyd or whether it's about economic injustice or it's about Occupy or anything else, the police always respond the exact same way. It's it's assaulting people. It's with tear gas. All of these same techniques, no matter what the protest is about, because it's not about uh, peaceful protest and maintaining order. It's because pe- police are there to protect the interests of the state and capital. That's it. Right. No, absolutely. And I mean, the idea that... That the I I almost I'm confused if if uh, if the police know why they're at these protests like technically and I mean there's different reasons why they're actually there but technically in the sense that we're supposed to believe is the police are there to make sure that you know nothing gets out of hand while people uh, have their First Amendment right to to have their voice heard and, and march and demonstrate. And and they're just there to make sure that the public is safe, protesters and the people who live in the area where there's these protests happening. But police uh, are actually really down there in terms of what you see to basically just try to quell the protest, like just try to stop it. Like the second they see it, the idea is to just do what they can to make life miserable for these protesters because they don't want them there to begin with. And there's various reasons, like you just mentioned, um, in terms of why it's being done. But I mean, I, I, it's it's just stunning to me that, and you also see with how people look at it, people who aren't down with, down with the protests, like they literally look at it as the police are there to like as like the good guys and the protesters are the bad guys. Yeah, like there's mm-hmm. some sort of weird like mentality where they're watching a movie or something. Yeah, this um, it's like kind of this us versus them type thing. It's yeah. the, the police. I, you've, I've seen so many clips uh, over the past few days of like police getting pumped up and ready for these types of things and going out and inflicting violence upon protesters, instigating things like poking people with nightsticks so they react ju- as so they could have some sort of justification for just beating the shit out of them. There was uh, that really disgusting video of cops like groping a woman. And then when she naturally like reacted to that, just like immediately started beating her legs with batons and stuff like that. Fucking disgusting. Insane. Yeah. And it's like, I, I, again, I can't, I can't stress enough that these people don't care about you and they won't, they won't like defend you and they have no interest in defending you. And police have argued in court uh, that I can't remember the name of the case, but there is a court case. I think it's in DC Superior Court or DC Court of Appeals where they argue or, um, they argue that they don't have a a required um, mandate to put the interests of people first. They argue that it's not like I, I'll have to pull cool. the case. I'll put it in the show notes. But it's just like they've literally argued in court that they don't have to put your interests first and center. Right. You know, the, Great you stuff. Know, I, I, it's so weird to me because this whole idea that people love the police is so is so foreign to me that people feel that way because. Even the people who say they love the police, when something happens to them, there's no one who turns more anti-police than those people. And when I say when something happens to them, I don't mean uh, their head gets bashed into the ground or they get shot as an unarmed black person. No, I mean they get pulled over and get a ticket for speeding. They 
you yeah. know, those are the they automatically oh fuck you, you you do you know you're this is what you do. Shouldn't you be uh, stopping uh, criminals and uh, yeah. you know from breaking in to don't to a store on or me. whatever? Yeah, but but when it's happened to someone else, love the boys in blue. It's yeah. you know yeah. it's it's I mean it really shouldn't be. I, I yeah. always say it's you love shocking, the police when they're really oppressing not. communities of color or like cracking the skulls of of leftist protesters, basically. Right. Right. Absolutely. I mean. Do unto thee, not unto me. Yeah. <laughs> Seems to be a common thread in the conservative movement, I've noticed. Sometimes a little bit of hypocrisy there, I feel like, even. A little not bit. Not to get just, too... Uh, just, you know. just, a, just a tad. Just, just, <laughs> yeah. just a little bit. <laughs> I don't want to get my rhetoric too uh, too heated here, but I just I can't help but feel that way sometimes. Um, yeah. Okay, so... I think the major, the the moment I realized this week that like, oh man, this is really like getting way, way out of control. You had Trump give that the statement about Antifa and then that now kind of fucking darkly iconic scene when he strolled across the street after, you know, the, the police tear gassed a bunch of innocent protesters that were not doing anything violent in front of the White House, tear gassed them to get them out of the way so we could do this bizarre photo shoot with the Bible. Uh, in front of uh, in front of that somewhat burned out church, and that's when I felt like we're really here reaching like a watershed moment here. It's very very scary, I think, for for everyone. To say nothing of like the communities in in America that are most affected by this and the people that are protesting, but that was like that was very very surreal uh, that moment. And that's you know it's one of those things where it's like we're going to be seeing that stupid picture of him with the Bible probably in history books uh, years from now. Right. Uh, but it was a really, really terrifying moment. You know, for me, it's so weird. Honestly, I've become so desensitized to Trump. Uh, obviously, not to what he does, because I obviously talk about that a lot. But I mean, just like his his showmanship behavior, because that's really what that was all about. And, you know, it, to me, nothing he does really, really surprises me. So it doesn't really, that's not what, it didn't elevate, that didn't elevate it for me. Yeah. What elevated it for me, honestly. Uh, was is is seeing these smaller protests pop up in places where I can guarantee you have never seen a protest in their life. Um, you know, right by where I live, there's a like a, a town in Queens called Whitestone, and it's a majority. It's a very white area of Queens, the most diverse neighborhood. And it's the, the most diverse, uh, like, uh, county in the entire country. Yet this area is very, very white. And a bunch of protesters, you've probably seen the video, a bunch of protesters decided to, to bring it to their hometown and, and have a demonstration on an overpass. And some dude drives over, gets out of his car after exchanging words with them, and gets out with, like, uh, like Wolverine claws, like Freddy Krueger oh, yeah. claws. What was that? It, it turns out it's some like fantasy metal blade that they sell online. It's literally four blades attached to like a like a like a, a like a glove. And he gets out. It's like a Freddy Krueger kind of deal. Yeah, and he gets it's. But it even looks like if you look at it, it looks like something from like like a, a Star Trek more so than like a Freddy okay. Krueger thing. Like it's so weird looking. And cool. He gets out of his car and starts running after the kids with this. And when I say kids, I mean, these were really young protesters. Like, they couldn't have been older than, like, maybe, like, early 20s, if even that. Probably in their teens, to be honest with you. And after that, he gets in his car. After already turning around to, to chase them with the, the, uh, the, the knives, he gets back into his car, 
turns back around the second time and drives up on the sidewalk, chasing them off with his car, trying to run them over. And that was so insane to me. Not that that happened there, but that the fact that there were protests there. But then it was so insane to me that, you know, that, that how over the top this guy acted. But, you know, this is a really not friendly to this type of, uh, you know, this is an area that would not be friendly to this type of movement. So that wasn't shocking to me to see. But then the next day, that crowd went from like max two dozen, maybe three dozen, to there must have been more than 100 people there. And again, there shouldn't be protests there, period, judging by how this neighborhood's been for decades and decades and decades. Yet this movement that we're seeing right now has made people all over the country decide to just step up and do something. And I know the fact that these are happening in hometowns and people aren't converging to like, there's some areas that aren't converging to like the big protest in the middle of like the heart of a city. Uh, I think there's many factors there. People wanting to do this in their hometown. Again, the coronavirus factor where, you know, people want to do this. They can't or don't really want to get in public transportation or, or travel. So they can't get to the, the protest that's, you know, in their city, but, you know, maybe 40 minutes into the city. Uh, so they do it in their hometown, their neighborhood. You know, it's that's when I realized that, like, you know, man, I've seen tons of protests, uh, different movements, you know, the anti-war movement, you know, the, uh, in, in terms of like recent, like from the 2000s, anti-war movement, Occupy, uh, when Trayvon Martin was killed, when there was like the, the I think it was the Million Hoodies March, that, was yeah. that movement was called, and then Black Lives Matter coming up really out of the, the murder of Michael Brown. I've never seen... What I saw with what we're seeing right now in terms of like these mini protests with anywhere from dozens to hundreds of people in towns that have never seen protest happen before. Like this is that to me is when I was like, this is the real deal. This is this is different. Yeah. The one thing I do want to say, uh, this I do th- actually I could bring it back around. So, yes, this is different. I think we're at a, we're, we are at a turning point because like you mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, over 50% of people polled agreed that burning down that police station was justified in Minneapolis that precinct. Imagine going back 1 month in time and and telling yourself, "Hey, people are going to be cool with you burning down cop uh like police stations." You wouldn't believe it. I I would I would not believe it. You know, it's it's just like the way we see police in this country and the way we've been indoctrinated through like pro-cop TV shows and movies and the 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 valor propaganda. that we instill. Yeah, propaganda, totally. People just aren't willing to do that. Even the, re- the resistance to the Black Lives Matter movement and, and justifications for all these people getting killed by police. Just to go back one month and say 50, over 50% of people polled are going to be okay with you burning down a police station. That we're now at this point here really shows how much this issue has shifted. We, this is a seismic shift. And the, 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 the fascist response from the Trump administration, from Barr giving the order to clear out Lafayette Park and violently push out protesters who every reporter there says was 100%, every responsible reporter was, it was, was peaceful. There was no, nothing thrown. There was no incidents. To come in and violently sweep them away so the president could walk across the street to a church and hold up a Bible. It is one of the most glaringly fascist displays <clears throat> and most just pure distillations of fascist power. And we have to we have to acknowledge that collectively. People I, th- I think it, it's like people are going to be tempted to get sucked into the oh, he's just doing the photo op stuff. It's like, no, this is like the precursor that coupled with 
the the Antifa terrorist designation is just a, in the loose issues regarding that. Like that's a precursor to state violence against leftists. We have to acknowledge that this is this is absolutely a risk, and we must we must understand that. I think it's it's because people yeah. in some places the police are are kind of withdrawing. And uh, they're just kind of overrun in some places, which means they need to keep deploying. Like they're deploying prison riot guards and the military and things like that. Or these like I, unnamed dudes who have like don't identify themselves and have no like markings yeah, or anything. I, Super I normal think, stuff there. Yeah. I think we are heading for a violent escalation by the state, like a deliberate and intentional violent escalation. Well, right. the thing that's the thing that I found really disturbing too, or one of one of many things that I found very disturbing this week, is like how powerless like elected officials are to rein in these police departments. Even in like New York City, where you have like De Blasio, who the you know he was elected on like a criminal like a police reform kind of agenda, right? And um, and the police just despise him. They had that whole uh, like uh, fight a few years ago where they were started turning their backs to him because he mildly criticized the NYPD. Then you had the situation where they kind of like doxed his own daughter and like almost threatened his own daughter, and he's still there making excuses for them and mm-hmm. talking about how they're how they're doing a great job. Uh, and then you had a situation where after one like really brutal night of of violence by the NYPD, Andrew Cuomo actually went out and said like, "Oh yeah, I thought it was really terrible. What I the videos that I saw was disturbing and uh, you know disgraceful." And he was very kind of had strong words about this. And then the next day. Andrew Cuomo is like apologizing to the cops and saying, oh, no, the, the police officers themselves are the best and no one's. And it's like it's really crazy to me because it's like it seems like no one has any accountability. No one is actually in control of these police departments. Even the most powerful people in the government are just like unable to to do anything to rein these people in or even to even criticize them. Like, and well, that's it's not like that they're it's not that they're unable to. It's they're unwilling to. Because they are able yeah. to. They literally have the power to do so. I mean, the fact is that they're chicken shit. They're scared of the police. They think that... I, I don't know whether they think uh, the police are going to uh, uh, get... You know, people are in mass going to just support the police over them and vote them out of office. Which, I, if you're Bill de Blasio, I don't know why you would care about that. But honestly, Bill de Blasio probably worries about his own family. I mean, he's got two black children. Uh, they we could you know it wouldn't surprise me if they became targets. I mean, you don't think that the cops who arrested his daughter recently when they doxed her on top of that online, but when they arrested her, you don't think they saw who it was? You don't think they the cops know what Bill de Blasio's daughter looks like? There was a target on that girl's back. I guarantee yeah, you. Absolutely. I guarantee mm-hmm. you. And you know that's what it comes down to. But this is where my problem is. This is where I think they're chicken shit every single one of them it's because even if they don't have the ability if the system is so fucked up that they can't actually change the law and and do something and and enact what they need to do to 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 rein in what's going on here whether they need to change the law or just enact the law um you know uh, what we're seeing really is that they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing in terms of just they have the power of the bully pulpit they have something you and I don't have. They could show up every single day in front of some some building and have the entire uh, you know the entire uh, city's media apparatus in front of that building blasting 
across the nation uh, what these uh, what, what what they're saying, and they're not. You know what they choose to say is, you know, the police did a good job instead of saying, I became mayor to serve the city, to do what I can for the people of New York. I see what the police are doing, and let me tell you, you think the mayor has the power to rein this in? I thought they would have, but guess what? They don't. And he could put the whole system on blast and let everybody know exactly how powerless even the mayor is to the point where maybe the people themselves will turn against what the police have become and the power they have. But, you know, they don't do that. Uh, Andrew Cuomo accidentally criticized the NYPD and a couple hours later he's coming out uh, uh, going oh I'm so sorry oh I love the police I love the boys in blue oh the NYPD we love you <laughs> like it's so ridiculous yeah I- well and then I guess that's the real that's the scary part because like whether they're unwilling whether they're unable to like rein in these fucking people uh, you got to wonder, like, that's a serious problem. And you got to wonder where this is going to go, because it doesn't seem like the people protesting have any intention of, of stopping anytime soon or backing down. Um, I doesn't seem like the police really do either. And like you pointed out, Jordan, like that's that's a very sort of potentially toxic mix that can lead to some really tr- like scary outcomes for, for people in the United States. Like, do you, like, what do you guys think? Do you have any clue, like, where do you think this is going? Like, I feel like, I think there's been kind of like a crossing the Rubicon type moment where it's like, there's no really going back to the previous status quo. Something's going to have to give. And as of right now, I'm not really comfortable predicting what that's going to be. Right, right. I mean, we're in, we're stuck in this really weird predicament right now where, you know, the entire world is basically on pause. So that means there's nothing to there's nothing that's going to happen that's going to sort of stop the protests in their tracks because, you know, something else comes up like we've been through the pandemic already uh, in terms of that being the big news story. But that's why everything is sort of stuck in place because uh, the coronavirus didn't go away all of a sudden. So, like, you know, we're the, the, the you know, you have all these businesses and all these uh, cities that are basically shut down, people out of work, nothing is moving on. Which, you know, rightfully so, nothing should be happening. Um, Just, you know, I I really think that a lot of people are taking the wrong message from the protests in terms of the coronavirus. I think you've seen a lot of rhetoric like, oh, we don't got to worry about that anymore. Uh, We still do, yeah. When no, and not even just still do, like, to me, that's the big... Like, that's the big, the big, like, at least right now, until there's a vaccine or something, that's the big final boss waiting to, uh, to come out right now in like two weeks and fuck everybody up all over again. But like, these protests are going to continue, uh, until something's done because there's nothing to stop it. There's nothing that's going to arise that can, I mean, I I can't think of anything. What, uh, I guess maybe a big terrorist attack or or something like we go to war with another country, maybe something like that. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if the the government's trying to make that happen to try to get people's eyes onto something else. But I mean, I don't know. This just feels, I hate to say this because I've said, I I really feel like I've said it 20 times before in my life where this just feels (laughs) different. And then of course nothing actually, but one thing I'll say, I don't know if anything will change this time. I don't know if there'll be any fundamental change. But I know 100% the thing that's different about this time around is that there are eyes who have been opened that are not going to be closed again. Yeah. Uh, I think like you, John Boyega. Yes. Well, I don't know if his <laughs> eyes were closed, but yeah. Uh, did he no, say? No, but, yeah, right, right. Yeah. But no, but I mean, like, I think you're seeing some older people finally get it. I think you have, I mean, I don't know what the police think they're going to do in like 20 years when there's literally no more boomers. 
Uh, I mean, like, <laughs> like when there's just like all the boomers and they're like, they're like late 80s and 90s and, you know, everyone is, you know, and, and there's all these people who are millennials and, and Gen Z and whatever comes after Gen Z. Uh, I mean, the kids do not have a positive outlook on the police. And that's not something that's going to go away with age. Yeah, especially because like where kids are now and where police are now are totally different positions than where police were 30 years ago and where people, you know, much older were 30 years ago. Like, it's just like there's been a slow ascendance to this militarization and a lot of it recent. Like this now is what kids are being born into this incredible this violent yeah this br- this violent nature and this brutality uh inflicted by the police that's what kids are being born into now and like sure like police violence always existed um but the sentiment the sentiment that that people have toward police have changed has changed drastically because it's being recorded now and it's being spread like you you you, you might you might have heard about it 30 years ago, but you don't see it on this scale and it's not spread so widely where everyone nationally recognizes the trend collectively. So I think to Matt's point, we're absolutely going to see a totally different divergent like set of opinions because of what the culture is now that kids are being born into. Right. Well, and yeah, it's like, that's another thing that I found so disturbing to think about is because we, we see these incidents so much more now where we wouldn't have before and whether it's incidents with George Floyd or whatever, but you just you have to wonder how many people uh, have lost their lives, how many people are in prison right now, um, completely unjustly, and they just have never had that opportunity, and no one ever heard their story, and just everyone just automatically believed the police, who we know now, well, who we know uh, often completely make shit up and lie in order to get convictions. And your mind just kind of reels when you think about the the number of people that have had their lives completely ruined or just like ended outright um, by these by police officers uh, and never received any justice whatsoever. And I think that's that's part of what this is. It's like unconsciously people are responding to that. And it's not just about this one incident, but it's about this entire culture that's been going on for generations in the United States. Uh, and people finally reaching this breaking point and saying like we're we, we're not going to continue tolerating this uh, in the in this iteration anymore. Right. I mean, I'm looking at this. I mean, we we saw that poll about the 54 percent of people uh, burning down were are fine with burning down the police station. I'm looking at this old poll that showed that a hundred percent of Antifa members were fine with it. But there's a new <laughs> poll that shows that 200 percent of Antifa members would be fine with it now. So I mean, that's how wow. much it's that's how much it's moved. People who don't even know they're Antifa are yeah. <laughs> responding to this poll. But I'm looking at uh, apparently the Buffalo police. This shouldn't be surprising, mm-hmm. but the Buffalo police reported that that man that uh, that they pushed and is had blood pouring out of his head. Mm-hmm. They told their their version of events is that I guess before they knew a video existed of it, was that the it's man like tripped and fell. fell. Yeah, yeah. Oh, dude. Oh, of course. All right. All right. Yeah. Let's. They wouldn't lie. All right. Yeah, right. Exactly. All right. Okay. No, and that's and, and that's you know that's I, I want to bring this up too. The the because uh, you know. The, the the public officials uh figure from the public officials we were talking about you know they would they would love for the 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 whole i this whole thing to be outside agitators like we saw it in 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 minnesota that that uh, just last weekend where they were blaming what was it one mayor came out and said that he had heard that every single person that was arrested the night of the protests yep. was from out of state literally minutes later the governor of minnesota goes on 
uh, goes on, uh, hits the podium and doesn't purposely do it, obviously, but he refutes the mayor by saying that his data told him that 80% of people arrested were from out of state. So right away, they didn't even realize they did this, but right away, we know that that first guy, the mayor of whatever town in Minnesota, was a fucking liar, and he was saying bullshit. I mean, that's why he said that he heard, because he didn't have the actual facts in front of him. So that little, that little play of words keeps him safe in terms of yeah. you know, corroborating it for sure. But then, and then, of course, many people in the media just immediately uncritically parroted that and took it as fact as well. Right. But then some people did look into it and found out that I believe out of the 50 some odd people that were arrested, 40 something was were from in, in the state. We're from yeah. Minnesota. So single, digit, so single digits from out of state. And I also wonder, those out of state people, were they uh, college students who are home because of the coronavirus and they just have their yeah. address from out of, out of town? You know? But the, uh, the reason they want to push this is because it absolves them so much. I mean, A, it absolves uh, the, the, the governors and public, other public officials of any, any culpability in the matter because if it's people from outside the state, well, what do they have to do with it? And then also, it there's nothing to fix if it's all just outside agitators. People in my state aren't so angry that they would they would do this stuff. Yeah. So I mean, everything's fine, really. These are just the work of some bored kids, bored white kids, bored anarchists. Yeah. I mean, it's just, and I mean, this is how you get these police forces out there doing this sort of stuff because uh, just send them, send out the police to take care of it for us. We don't, we're not gonna, we have, we have no culpability in this. Yeah, and that's one thing that I think. It would be it would be nice if this was one of the changes that came out of this whole crisis. Would be if like media institutions stopped just acting as like uncritical stenographers for the police state and just taking everything the police say at face value and reporting it to people like it's the like it's the facts. Like it's been so bizarre to see the contradiction between like people like people in CNN, cameramen, people in MSNBC and other journalists getting like fucking beaten by the police and and getting harassed and arrested in some cases, in some cases live on air, being arrested despite having press passes and cameras and all that shit. And you still have media institutions still like bending over backwards to take police's side in these situations and and accept everything they say at face value. And it's like what has to happen for you to start critically like engaging with what the police are saying and not just like repeating it verbatim to your audiences like what has to happen for you to realize that they're not the good faith actors that you seem to want to portray them as and it's so bizarre that they're still resistant to like to to like pushing back against that narrative it's it's fucking insane oh i mean i saw i saw a, a tweet the, the other day and i had to i had to hit back against it Local news reporter for ABC Seven News in New York City uh, gets on video. Uh, the the chief of uh, the third in command, I think it's like the chief of department, is what they're called of the NYPD. He's the highest ranking uniformed official. The commissioner is above him, and I think there's one other guy above him. But he's the highest ranking guy who actually works works the streets. Uh, you know, actually goes down there and and commands the police from the ground. Um, He's, she, she gets him on video screaming about how we're protecting this community from the, the from these paid protesters. Literally, yeah. this is an NYPD official. And she clarifies, she, she describes this as uh, chief of department gets very emotional telling his police officers, uh, getting his police officers ready for what they're about to deal with. And I'm like, emotional? This guy's straight up spreading right wing propaganda about yeah, paid protesters. Yeah, this is protesters. like unhinged Facebook this conspiracy, is, like. In like crazy stuff. 
this is one of the highest ranking officials of the country's <laughs> biggest police department spreading bullshit to his rank and file officers. I mean, you wonder why they're going out there clocking heads. I mean, there's many reasons. Obviously, many of them are racist and love doing it themselves. But for maybe like the one or two that were like, I'm going to become a cop to be a good guy. They're going to be like, I'm going to now fight these paid protesters. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> it's 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 unhinged. It really is. And I mean, if 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 in any job you you went out there and started spreading literally unhinged bullshit that literally uh, was the opposite of what your job is supposed to do. You would be yeah. fired. You'd be absolutely fired. Like if you your if your job was to scoop ice cream at the the Cold Stone Creamery, and every scoop you handed over to someone, you said, "Don't forget, Cold Stone makes their ice cream out of rat poison and Cheerios, or stale Cheerios." Yeah. It's like you get fired because that's bullshit. You know, it's it's that's not what you're supposed to be doing at a Cold Stone Creamery. I mean, unless they're actually making their ice cream out of rat poison and stale Cheerios. Uh, so I mean, yeah. the fact that this guy's out there saying this, it's it's literally. Again, I always say this because in some ways it's like unbelievable it's happening and in many ways it's not. But it's it's just ridiculous. Yeah. And now we have these these funny situations where you have these like suburban boomers who are now believe that there's there's like bus loads of Antifa super soldiers coming to their communities to like ransack Hobby Lobby and just like there. They're hanging out with their AR-15s in the in the strip mall parking lot in like whatever uh, you know shitty suburb they live in. Not really a oh, great sign uh, to me. Oh, uh, James O'Keefe, Project Veritas, they got the yeah, big scoop yeah, today that, uh, that uh, they had an inside look with uh, a a guy who went undercover into Antifa. Ooh. And did you did you know this that Antifa holds their meetings at their secret headquarters? Which is the feminist bookstore from Portlandia? <laughs> Quite literally, that was the the breaking news. Uh, it's a real bookstore that closed down years ago. Uh, so who knows uh, how long ago this was from? Which is what some people were saying. But in my, I think it doesn't matter how long ago it was. This person was obviously fucking with James O'Keefe. It wouldn't surprise me if that guy didn't even know there was an actual bookstore. He was basically like, "I'm gonna just name drop the bookstore from Portlandia just to fuck with these guys and see if they even look into it to know that this is the bookstore from Portlandia." Unreal. <laughs> they're so fucking stupid. And what I saw was like people were just saying they're they just manip like they manipulated a self defense training class to be like, "This is how Antifa instructs their members to be violent." <laughs> yeah. Whatever. James O'Keefe is a fucking like fraud, but. He gets airtime on Fox News because yeah. he just pushes it's, an agenda. It's pretty wild to me that he's still taken seriously by anyone. Like, um, even on the right. I thought yeah. he was discredited like 10 years ago, but apparently in conservative media, you can never really fail. You can only fail upwards. Yeah. Yeah. You just like hone, right. you hone your grift. You just, yeah. you know, you're just fluid. Yeah, the, the, okay. Yeah. So the last thing I wanted to, to bring up, I guess, uh, while we still have you, Matt, because, you know, people are saying like, okay, well, what are the solutions now? Like, what are the solutions to the, the you know, these, these rampant problems of, of, uh, systemic racism and police brutality like how do we solve this and you have kind of the the leftist proposal which is like abolish the police defund the police like we need to like completely reimagine what criminal justice looks like um and then you have today coming from the sort of like professional liberal activist class 
this like what is it eight can't wait i think it was mm. of just like these different like suggestions for these are the different things police can do and you can make them like pinky promise to not be violent anymore and then you can you can make it so they they have to report um you know when their partners are are brutalizing people and and kind of suggestions like this and i'm just wondering i have no doubt that this is what's going to be sort of uh, picked up by the democratic party and and turned into like the their big sweeping uh changes that they're proposing but i just got to wonder like what who really believes that just like adding a couple more little like technocratic rules into these police departments uh, is going to like resolve this this like fundamental like widespread issue um, because it's not about rules because there's rules already like a lot of these rules are already in place in a lot of police departments about chokeholds or a lot of the different things that they're able to do but the, that's the whole fucking problem is that they don't follow they don't abide by the rules and there's never any consequences for it and it's not just about you know tactics but there's this this like very toxic violent racist misogynist culture of the very type of people that become police officers and this is like the root of the problem this is what's causing the violence and causing the the uh the unjust deaths and and the brutality so it's like i i'm having a hard time understanding why anyone would think that these like these minor fixes that they're going to impose somehow are going to like resolve this this really like horrific systemic problem Right. I, I, listen, I know the big, the big, like, it, it's a joke online we see when people are like, uh, the, the, the result is to vote. It's yeah, to vote. vote. I, the, yeah. the, I mean, not the result, I'm sorry. The, 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 the solution is to vote. Solution is to vote. Vote for the uh, Democrats to take over these cities where, oh, wait, I'm sorry, the Democrats <laughs> already run Minnesota. Uh, yeah. I guess we need the Democrats to just, when we, when we get a Democratic governor and mayor in New York State yeah. and New York City, <laughs> That's what we, gotta do. we know that change <laughs> will happen. Uh, I mean, literally, it's bullshit. Voting's not gonna got, got gonna solve this, but it's close. And I really do think this because obviously we can't do it without people on the streets and people changing minds and activism. That will always be the heart of it. That will always be what actually makes the change happen. What forces people's hand. But at the same time. We don't. We, we do need the politicians in office to represent the people to actually make these laws a reality to make the people hurt. And really, what I think needs to needs to happen is that fucking people who feel like the protesters do, the people who feel like the three of us are on this podcast are talking right now, people who feel like the the kids in Whitestone, who 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 came out in the face of a guy with Freddy Krueger knives. Uh, the people in Minnesota uh, who are getting 54% of the country to cheer for them for burning down a police station. Uh, you know, those are the people who need to, to run for office and, 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 and get into the power and get into power. I mean, literally, the, 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 it's a combination of those two things. It's not going to be voting for Joe Biden. It's not going to be voting for generic Democrat, whatever. It's getting these activists who are not going to stop, getting a few of them to run for office so that they take over and that the people are finally heard in the system as well. Because, you know, I, I, I would love for it to be completely, and I do feel like the people have a lot of, a lot of uh, pull outside the system. I mean, that's where the change happens, outside the system. But you do need the AOCs, the Ilhan Omars, the Rashida Tlaibs in there to represent the people. And unfortunately, we don't have enough of them. And we need to make up for that. We need to make, we need to get a lot more of them into office. Yeah. Yes. 
Yeah. I mean, I mean, I don't know how else we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna change things. I mean, I I really don't. I mean, we people have been people have been loud and as loud can be for as long as as I can remember. And uh, you know, I, I I I there has been change, obviously, but I think people are just uh, sick and tired of of the pace that it's occurring at. Yeah. Well, that's why it's kind of funny. It's like it's a little bit rich hearing from. Uh, Barack Obama, you know, you need to vote for the right elected officials. It can't just be these violent protests. You have to like work within the political system and vote for the right people so they're in place to make these changes. It's like you're the fucking president, man. Like, what, what, what killer cops were prosecuted by the the Obama Justice Department? You know, and it's like you're absolutely right, Matt. But it, yeah, you're right that also that it's going to need voting for people that are not just going to have this kind of milk toast liberal approach, but are going to like really uh, actively campaign on, on real radical reforms and not just kind of this technocratic uh, kind of bullshit. I mean, if anything, it's, it, it, it's ridiculous to me that like Obama, even again, even if <laughs> the system is so entrenched that the president of the United States couldn't fundamentally change anything. I mean, then fucking put that on blast, man. You yeah. have the highest position in the yep. country. Open people's eyes, let them know. Get you should be you should have been on TV every single day uh saying this shit. And I mean, we we've, we've seen it every every turn, every single one of these politicians fail at even the level of messaging. So it's, you know, the, the simplest possible thing is just to get on TV and say, I tried to do this to help you guys. I tried to do this to serve the people. And this is how messed up things are that I couldn't even do that. Yeah. Like, they just, they just can't even do that very basic messaging thing. And, you know, we just need people who are going to do that. And we need the combination of those people and just a relentless movement on the streets that just does not stop because even if we get all the greatest people in office even if we get all the most fantastic leftists in the world in office without people pushing for it you know who knows who will who will force the people in power to do whatever who knows you know you yeah. just don't know because you know all of a sudden what if everyone leaves the streets we could have a bunch of uh racists pushing up against uh uh you know we have another because that's another thing i'm worried about what happens after yes. trump I mean, we've seen the power that he gave to white supremacists. Now, he obviously is really bad at what he does. So, you know, I feel like they've actually lost a lot of power under him as well. They, you know, we are past the peak of where they felt like they were in, in, where they were going to do something. In the driver's seat, kind of. Yeah, where they were in the driver's seat. Like, you know, I feel like what the white supremacist movement, it's still there, obviously, very dangerous still. It's definitely a threat. But I mean, they were, they thought they were going to rule the country, I would say, in like, from 2015 to like 2017. Yeah. And these past few years, you can see that they're even frustrated at what's going on with Trump. Inter- not the yeah. same frustrations. They're frustrated that Trump already hasn't given them their white ethno state. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, I'm worried about what happens next, what the next step for the far right's going to be. Because if we get someone worse than Trump, which by all means can most definitely happen under yet another moderate Democrat. Um, yes. Tom Cotton could, just announced his presidential campaign for 2024. Right. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine a guy who is just an open fascist who also has the smooth operating skills of Dick Cheney and, yeah. you know, Donald Rumsfeld. 
uh, and can literally just sway the American people to, you know, instead of swaying the American people to uh, fight a war overseas with something like 90% support, uh, they can sway the American people to uh, open up concentration camps for everyone who, who, for anyone who isn't white in this country with like 90% support. Who knows, you know, yeah. who or knows? even the white people that are in uh, Antifa, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. I mean, it's, it's yeah, something pretty scary. To definitely pretty scary prospects. Yeah. But hopefully, hopefully I think this is, this is what I'm hoping. Now I, I'm not going to advocate for anyone to vote for whoever, whoever I'm not down with that because I think that's the wrong way to approach it. Even if you're trying to convince someone to vote for who you want them to vote for, uh, I think it's does the opposite. If you're trying to, if you pull the whole uh, vote for the Democrat, unless you yeah. or you support Trump, you know that's ridiculous. But if you are someone who just wants to see the left hold power, uh, I think the uh, empowering of the left that a lot of leftists thought Trump would do just by getting into office and like everyone suddenly becoming a, a leftist. Uh, a lot of it did happen in some respects. A lot of young people, I think, who weren't so political, yeah. immediately became leftists. They didn't, you know, they, they didn't go through the, 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 the different levels as maybe people did during Obama. Um, sure. But uh, what it really did was it got a whole bunch of older people who did not care to get into politics. Uh, just vote blue, no matter who, just to get Donald Trump out of office. So they actually ended up steamrolling the left in a way I think the left didn't end up seeing coming. So <laughs> no, if you're, if you're I a leftist, didn't. yeah. So if you're a leftist who wants leftists to get into power, I think, you know, you want to do whatever you think is necessary to make sure Donald Trump loses. So at the very least, uh, the people who just want Donald Trump out of office, stop voting just to get Donald Trump out of office. Yeah. I think that's a good point. Um, yeah, I agree. It's not like the cool, the cool guy leftist position to have, but I do think I've said this before. I think we've kind of normalized how uniquely bad Trump is and how how really awful uh, another another term of a Trump administration could be. And that's not to say that I think Joe Biden is a good candidate or that I, I have a lot of faith in the Democratic Party because I I don't believe either of those things. But uh, I do think that should be a goal for the left uh, in America over the next couple of months is making sure that Trump uh, is gone. Uh, but then also redoubling efforts instead of, instead of voting in November and going home, but becoming even more uh, militant and more radical and, and then continuing to push for that. Uh, that would, I think that's probably the best case scenario at this point. Um, but yeah. Matt, we've, we've gone way over time here. I don't even know if Jordan's here. <laughs> I think kind of lost him because, What's Oh, up? you are here. Okay. I'm listening. Oh, yeah. Just soaking it in. Oh, this okay. is, <laughs> I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure if we lost you. This is but, the this is uh, the halfway point of a regular episode of Doomed. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I go I go long, man. I'm I'm a, I'm a masochist. I mean, I <laughs> yeah. really I really put myself through the through the through the ringer. I mean, after I do an episode, I'm like <laughs> exhausted. Like I just ran away. No, appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, I thought maybe Jordan got disappeared by the by the Antifa uh, police. No, by Cuomo's <laughs> Cuomo's goons are gonna kick my door in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, Matt Binder, thank you so much for joining the show today. It was really great to to break this all the stuff down with you. Um, we really appreciate it. Before we sign off here, do you also want to let everyone know like where they can find you on, on Twitter, where they, what your show is, and just you know, give get all your plugs in. Get all your yeah, plugs definitely. Uh, subscribe to my YouTube channel. My show isn't just an audio podcast like a lot of other shows. <laughs> my show is oh, also wow. a regular. All right, thanks wow, for. T- okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
my show is also a live stream show. So youtube.com slash Matt Binder. Uh, also uh, at Matt Binder on Twitter, Instagram. Basically go to any social media place, channel, whatever. Search Matt Binder. You'll find me. I'm there as Matt Binder. Um, doomedpod.com for... The if you must just listen to an audio podcast, doomthepod.com for, for if the, you're one of the plebeians uh, who just uh, <laughs> just listens that way. Doomthepod.com for just the audio version of the show. Uh, yeah, this has been a pleasure. I will definitely have you guys on Doomed ASAP. Uh, if you oh, guys would sure. like to come on, Doomed. oh hell yeah, I've been and, on your uh, I've been on your stream and I, we got it taken down. Remember. Right, we you were on my stream. Was, right, we're so dangerous. Our speech is so dangerous. <laughs> right, we got. Copy- I forgot that was the stream with you. Right, we got taken down because of, because some some fake uh, copyright infringer mm-hmm. was fake copywriting a bunch of uh, different channels yeah. for the debate footage that they didn't even own because they weren't the owners Damn. of the debate. Uh, yeah, that was crazy. I forgot about that. But yeah, I gotta have silenced. both you guys on next time though, because happily, happily. I just had Jordan on before. I need to get the actual two of you together. <laughs> it would be great. Yeah, I would, I would enjoy that. Absolutely. Happily. Let's do it. Uh, so Matt Bender, thanks again for joining the show. We will, we'll talk to you later, man. Take care. Thank you for listening to The Insurgents. Please remember to subscribe over at theinsurgents.substack.com. Find the podcast on all your favorite podcast apps. And please remember to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It's very helpful and we appreciate it a lot. But please, again, don't mention Ken Klippenstein in the review. He is banned from the show. It's a lifetime ban. So please do not mention him in the review. And we'll be back later this week with more of the content that you know and love. Goodbye.